I'm your host, Patrick Weed, and welcome to Season 2, where we're going to talk about Jesus in real life, what Jesus means to you and me, and what he means to others in their life. Welcome to Ministry IRL. Hey everybody, I just wanted to let you know that this episode was actually pre-recorded for last season but never got released. And so although it doesn't necessarily focus on Jesus in real life, it does still focus on ministry in real life. And it's still an interview that I wanted to be able to release and let you guys hear. So I hope that you enjoy it. Welcome back to another episode of Ministry IRL. And today is going to be pretty cool, I think. I've got a guest on the show who is someone who I've never met before but yet have heard quite a bit about from quite a few friends and looking him up online. So we're going to get to know each other a little bit in this episode and then talk about a few things. But Brad Keach, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's always fun to try to pronounce people's names. Right? <laughs> well, let's go with Ketch. Okay, Brad Ketch. Thank yeah. you. Ketch. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show today. So we have a few friends in common. So I'll give a shout out to the Gales because I really enjoy them. And actually, we didn't touch on this. Um, AJ Gale's dad, I believe, has either worked with you or has been is on a currently post. is oh. currently our head of all finance operations, IT, you name it. Mark Gale is is the man. Yeah, he's very cool. I've met him a few times. I enjoy him a lot. So, with that, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, um, what you're doing now, what you're doing with Mark, um, kind of just kind of some of your history. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, we're working in a particular community called Rockwood, which is in the Portland, Oregon metro area. Uh, it is just uh, south and east of the airport for anyone who's flown through PDX. Um, very urban neighborhood of about 30,000 people. And what's unique about Rockwood is that it's Oregon's poorest community. Oh, really? It uh, is the lowest income. It's the youngest community in the state. It's the most diverse. We have 88 languages spoken at home in Rockwood. So not just the most diverse in Oregon, but one of the most diverse in the whole nation. Um, Extremely high levels of um, diabetes, hypertension, other signs of health, uh, poor health, uh, very low educational attainment, uh, very low income, uh, and other things that are just kind of all boiled or rolled together in in what we would just generically call poverty. So it is Oregon's poorest community. And uh, we're in our eighth year of working with our neighbors to, to try to figure out solutions forward for the community. Um, our tagline is simply that we wanna work with our neighbors to make Rockwood a place that everyone can learn, earn, and belong. Mm, nice, I like that. So do you guys have, uh, is it a nonprofit or is it a company or is it just kind of a group of people working together? No, it's it's um, both a nonprofit and a for-profit. So we've created a really unique corporate structure, and it's complicated. And the reason we did it is because the problems of this community are complicated hmm. and very long-standing. They go back many, many decades. And to un to get this community unstuck is is requiring just an extremely a uh, sophisticated, difficult, expensive strategy that um, also takes a long time. And so we have for-profit elements, we have a investment company, we have nonprofit elements, and uh, getting the mix right and getting it all functioning is, is what we spend all day trying to figure out. 
Wow, that's incredible. I, I appreciate that a lot. So I myself, although heavily involved in different ministries within our church, work in a regular job, regular secular job, and deal with a lot of businessmen, a lot yep. of people who are talking about business. And so I think the nonprofit thing is interesting because that's the stereotype of Christians who want to get involved. Like, And it's a good thing. Right. All for that. My dad runs one. But when you talk about the for-profit part, that really perks my my interest because I'm like, so how do you, would you mind sharing with us? Like, we'll just dive right in deep. Would you mind? Yeah. How do you, how do you balance being a believer where it's like, you know, self-sacrifice and kind of the different things that Jesus talks right. about and for profit, I mean, trying to make money. I mean, how does that, how do you, how do you balance that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a profound question, right? That's, that's the one where there's no answer. There's just a tension that you're willing to live in and attend, attend to that tension. Uh, and somehow living in, being willing and committed to living in that tension uh, gives the spirit um, a place for creativity. Mm. And that creativity is what ultimately solves the problems of the community. So um, um, it's, you know, because we happen to live now in a culture where everyone has gone to their corners. Um, the victims of that or the downstream uh, people who bear that the most are uh, our BIPOC neighbors and our low income neighbors. Yeah. And um, uh, to put the systems back together requires that we be able to speak all these different languages. It's a lot like Paul, Apostle Paul in Rome. Um, when he's, you know, he's a Roman when he needs to be a Roman and a Greek when he needs to be a Greek and a Jew when he needs to be a Jew. And that's what we do. You know, we have a private equity capital raising firm that, you know, is very, very normal to the private equity world. And then we have a, um, a bunch of nonprofit type activities that also feel normal for that world. And hopefully somewhere around a really big table, we're able to put it all together. Hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a very, in, I want to say genius answer to be honest, because I'm like, you, you're just kind of living in that tension. I'm like, that's, that's incredible, especially for a big group of people trying to make money and then also serve these people. I don't know much about Rockwood, so that's new to me. So, so in in working with that, try to see how to phrase this well. I don't want to offend anybody. So, how do you incorporate maybe like different ethics or morals? Because it seems like, do you guys do training as you hire people and kind of try to help them build? Yeah, you know, not talent. Yeah, you know, we're not explicitly a Christian organization, but most of the board senior leadership volunteers are are well almost everybody is driven in some aspect by their faith uh probably the majority are driven by a explicitly christian faith but um we don't talk about it that way we talk about our four core values as Mm -hmm. an organization Um, our four core values include um uh, excuse me, let me actually back up. The place that I, I talk about our, my faith explicitly is when I talk through our vision statement. Hmm. And in our vision statement is 
that we envision a community where all show compassion to those who are in need. And my commentary about that is that everybody has a source of compassion for the poor. Mine is the compassion that was shown to me by Jesus Christ. Your source of compassion might be something different. If you don't have a source of compassion for the poor, then we probably don't need you around. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, getting back to the four core values, um, we've, we've uh, state them this way. The first is reconciliation. So to a Christian audience, boy, that's a very rich concept, right? Yeah. At least it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, um, hopefully so. <laughs> but there's concepts of reconciliation in any of these 88 culture groups that are in our community. Second of our core four, four core values is it's personal. So everybody in the organization is personally involved in the lives of the poor. Heck, most of us are. So um, nobody is sitting in an office somewhere trying to create policy for a community. We're all in, engaged together. So the first one is reconciliation. That's uh, pursuing the disconnected. The second is it, it's personal. The third is uh, building bridges, not armies. Hmm. And building bridges, not armies, is, means that what we're trying to do is not trying to create a group that's all moving together with one objective. What we're trying to do is create enough bridges so that um, the, the capital, the social capital of the community is, is enhanced. Ultimately, the community will figure out its own solution. Um, ultimately, the community will figure out what shalom looks like for it. Um, shalom being you know, prosperity, peace, uh, wholeness, both spiritually and economically and physically, relationally. So building bridges, not armies, is a, um, a core value that sometimes is a little bit challenging to the church, and I'll come back to that in a second. And then the fourth core value is uh, never leave the table. So this just speaks to the fidelity to the process. So I don't really lay awake at night trying to think about what solutions my community might figure out. I lay awake at night thinking about, are we honoring to the process of the community figuring out what it wants to do? Wow. Um, and when we stay in that, those four core values, then, you know, really magical things can occur and are occurring. Wow. Yeah, no, I like that. Wow. I mean, and that's not, I mean, as far as the companies I've been a part of and the different vision statements and core values, that's, that's still a little different, though, than the stereotypical business mentality. I mean, that sounds a lot more like people who care about each other and care about a community and want to do the best they can to serve that community. Yeah, so thank you. And I think on a good day, you can see it all happening. Sure. Uh, there's days where it all falls apart. Sure. But all right, so how do you layer into that um, the investment, the capital investment that's required to get big buildings built and to get big businesses started and growing for oh, yeah. Oregon's poorest community. And that's an area that we're pressing into right now uh, pretty hard. So the um, Oregon Community Capital Subsidiary is a private equity firm um, that's, we've been struggling for about a year and a half to really get it launched, but I'm pleased to uh, report that pretty soon we're gonna be announcing um, I'll, I'll just share with your listeners if they care for a little sneak peek, right. little sneak peek that uh, we'll shortly be announcing um, that we've, we have a $1 million fund wow. for businesses that are rebuilding after COVID. Oh. And we anticipate placing that money even by the end of the year. 
um, not with raw startup businesses, but with those that have already been employing a lot of folks that just got knocked out and that with new capital can get back on their feet. That's amazing. Wow. That's so cool. That's so cool. Cause I know, I mean, we think of the different companies in our own neighborhoods that have been suffering. I mean, you can't imagine what in a poorer neighborhood it would be like. And so to have right. that kind of, you know, help and investment to come back in and wow, that is, that is truly amazing. I love it. I love it. How do you, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to think of how to go here. How do you, or no, let's, you know what, let's back up, Brad, if you don't mind. How have you gotten to a place? Because, I mean, everything you're sharing is so, like, it doesn't, it doesn't sound businessy. It sounds like a believer who, who loves people, which is what we're supposed to do. But yet you're doing it in a business world with people. I love it with people who aren't necessarily even of the same faith as you. How have you gotten to a place where you, where you can do that? Like what has led you? Because more often than not, I feel like, especially for me, like it's things are pushing me either in the corporate ladder, you know, step on people's heads to get ahead. Or if it's you're trying to do things where you're caring and loving for people, more often than not, you get pushed down or it's like, why are you still in this same position for the years that you've been there? Why aren't you, you know, getting promoted or whatever? What's brought you to a place? Because I mean, you, CEO, president, you know, CFO, those are higher up positions, but yet you're able to do it in a way that's more serving and caring. What's brought you to that place? Oh, I mean, that's a long history uh, (laughs) kind of question, but uh, you know, I had 30 years in, in just tech, uh, I think there's a um, uh, illusion that in in tech that the sort of top-down business as usual, um, highly structured business world will accomplish objectives that are that are healthy long-term for the people who work there and for their customers and for the for the broader culture and that concept has come under great scrutiny in our culture in the last 10 years and 20 years, and it's accelerating. It's no longer acceptable for a company simply to pursue a profit motive. They also have to be advancing a social agenda or a, a bit, uh, something for the common good. Maybe it's environmental, maybe it's health, maybe it's equity and justice, maybe it's yeah. um, uh, a different topic. And so um, the for-profits are starting to act like non-profits and the non-profits are starting to act like for-profits. And I think that's actually good because we had pushed each other off to the four corners of the ring and said, you've got your domain and I've got mine. And yeah. the victim of that is the poor. Hmm. So if we can put the two back together again, and um, it also relates to investing. So impact investors are the the title or the term that we use for people who um, and, and increasingly a uh, large segment of investors who say, you know, I got to have great returns, but I also want to make sure that it's doing well for people. Um, and uh, an organization like mine can help make that happen. So we kind of just say, you know, this inherent tension between faith and business um, is well, going back to my tech era, I would say, you know, that's not a feature. That's a bug. <laughs> I love that terminology. That's totally my world, by the way. Right. You know, it's like that tension between faith and profit is false. And it's needs to be reclaimed and is being reclaimed by lots and lots of faith-driven investors and faith-driven entrepreneurs 
who are saying, no, we can, we, not only can we, but we must um, harness capital for social good and give the capital the return that it needs, but also accomplish something that's holistic and healthy for a community. Hmm. Hmm, that's good. Uh, I'm, I'm super curious now, just because you said it, would you mind telling me just really quickly, like what area of tech that you've been involved in? I, I myself am in that area, so I'm curious. Well, I was want. involved in telecom equipment manufacturing for 30 okay. years. Okay. Nice. How about you? So I currently work for a company called Norton LifeLock, um, formerly Symantec. We yeah. make Norton antivirus. Um, been through, I've been there about five years off and on, depending on it. I've been through company splits and sales and all sorts of stuff. So it's been interesting to watch kind of that world. Um, I'll never forget one day my pastor was telling me as I was applying for this job, he looked at me, he said, Patrick, I think this will be the best thing for you because you'll get a better picture of what everyday people's life looks like. Oh, and it's and so, has, it worked out, has it worked out that way? I think so. I mean, it's okay. definitely given me a perspective. I, I've made, so I've, I've worked before and, and my dad's a missionary. So the idea of like reaching people and caring for people, that makes sense in my brain. But working alongside someone where every other day you're dealing with something that's frustrating and annoying and your true character probably shows a bit more when you're upset about things. Um, and then trying to figure out how to balance that with being a believer and then running to other believers in my company. Sure. That's been a, <laughs> that's been a fun one. Um, just cause then we have that conversation of like, yeah, sorry. The other day I was pretty angry. Probably didn't really act like a good, good Christian quote unquote. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's a little bit of mine, but, but even in that note, I'm wondering like how, have you run into other believers? Has that helped with business? Has it been hard at times to work um, alongside people who might believe in Jesus? Well, of course. Uh, I think, though, that um, what we as leaders can do is, is we really can help set a tone mm -hmm. or an environment where other people of faith feel like they're safe and they can, they can fly their flag. Hmm. And, um, you know, as I've run secular, explicitly secular companies that have nothing, no, nothing in their vision or mission statement had anything to do with faith or spirituality. It's just a tech, you know, tech company. Yeah. Uh, I would signal, you know, right from the beginning that, uh, we are a faith friendly company that uh, we don't care what your faith is or lack thereof entirely. That's fine. But you get to bring your whole self to work. Yeah. Uh, and boy, has that been met with great thanks and appreciation <laughs> by people, regardless, um, you know, of, of which tradition they follow or none uh, because it, it, it just said, it's okay to talk about this. Yeah. Have you been challenged by believers in that sense? Because that opens the doors for other faces as well, right? Um, I'm definitely not Christian enough for some people. <laughs> I like that phrase. That's good. Yeah. I think I probably fall into a similar category. <laughs> I might not be Christian enough for Jesus too. <laughs> well, that's probably all of us. At least <laughs> hey, one other, uh, one other aspect of the interaction between faith and, and uh, business that, uh, again, with the work that we're doing here in Rockwood, um, what, how do the churches fit into this strategy? Yeah, we well, wanted to go there too. Yeah. 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 I, I was, 
because you know we all know of of Christians who've started social efforts and years later they may have actually succeeded in building some great thing but the when you say well where is the gospel being proclaimed nowhere where is faith actually being uh displayed nowhere well how is this a christian organization well like maybe it's not i don't know um how you know how broadly do you want to define the kingdom um <laughs> so what we did at the beginning knowing that our community is loaded with muslims and um, immigrants and refugees, um, and that we could, we did not want to be an explicitly Christian organization is we started a network of churches. Hmm. So in our area of Portland, there's 43 Protestant churches, and we decided to form the Shalom Church Network that would be initially funded by us and supported by our staff, and then over time, hopefully spin out into its own freestanding church network. And that's occurred. So today the Shalom Network has a leadership team, a steering team of seven pastors. They are ethnically um, and gender diverse and they drive that network. And then that network plugs into our work as um, we need uh, volunteers, as we need uh, people to walk alongside some of the poor. Um, that's where we turn to. So we kind of have, an automatic witness for the gospel built in. Hmm. Wow, that's awesome. That's cool. You already have that. I, I had no idea. So how, like, can you give us a little insight of how the two things fit together? Because it sounds like, so you've got volunteers that come from church, the church network. Yep. And then you've got the business side that's kind of running everything. Yep. Um, how, so, and this plays into a question I'm going to try to figure out a little bit just with the financial aspect. So, yeah. um, how do you how do you balance that kind of together? Yeah, so here's a here's a tangible thing. We have a um, commercial kitchen okay. as one of the assets that we hold. That people last year, twenty two entrepreneurs formed new food businesses in, and um, with COVID, there's been just a whole lot of money and a whole lot of food flowing through our food system, and so much so that we reached out to the churches of the Shalom Network and said if any of you guys are feeding people during this crisis, we'll pay the bill. Oh, wow. And one very, very poor church, high impact, very poor church said, Oh my gosh, you know, it's costing us $5,000 a year to serve a hundred people a week. And I'm like, wait, how are you doing this so cheap? Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's how God's people are. And, you know, it was easy for us to write a check for five grand mm. and a, a joy, a pleasure. Um, we, and, and it was a, a big benefit to them. So we try to, you know, actually resource these churches when we can. Um, we don't have a ton, but we, it, it's helpful. And then in return, they, you know, when they have um, a uh, outreach they want to do to their community, um, through this network, they can re easily reach other churches and say, why don't we do this together? We're getting ready to do, you know, tamales and prayer. And um, why don't, you know, this other church come do tamales and prayer too on a Saturday? Wow. Oh, my goodness. That that hits my heart really, really strongly. That's so cool. That is so, <laughs> sorry, I don't even know what to say a little bit to that. I'm like, that's really awesome. Well, I'm glad, you know, let me tell you one other quick story. Um, oh, and I know we've already, you know, blown up your time, but um, 
the, the churches of the Shalom Network also have uh, once a year, they have a, um, it's called Rockwood United Worship. And all the churches that want to participate are there. Um, and they decided, they've done it about four years in a row now. The first year they decided that during worship, they would have all of the ethnic pastors come up on stage and immigrant and refugee pastors and lead all of us in the Lord's Prayer, but in their own language, all simultaneously. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. And they were like, I don't remember. I, I'm going to say eight uh, of them up there. And nobody knew what to expect. It's like, okay, ready? Go. You know, and um, I was in the back just kind of watching and as this sound just came up of the Lord's Prayer in eight languages. I mean, the Holy Spirit just filled the room. That's amazing. And it was a profound moment. And that's what we're going for, right? That was so cool. I mean, that yeah, you've you've hit my missions heart. You've hit my business side. <laughs> You're just hitting it all. <laughs> it's really nice to get to talk to you. This is really cool. So I'll, I'll wrap things up for us with a question that I, I posed to you before we started. And I'd love to get that from you. So if there was one thing that you wish people knew, and let's phrase it this way, about mixing business and ministry together, something that people probably just don't even think about, what would it be? The power of just asserting that we're going to mix it. Oh, interesting. So what do, you, what do you mean by we're going to mix it? That, that um, our culture, especially these days, has gotten so um, respectful of people from different cultures, gender expression, you know, that, that uh, we hesitate to articulate a strong point of view. Um, and as believers, we have a strong point of view, which is that we bear the image of Christ. Mm. And we don't need to be bashful about that. We don't need to compromise that in any way. Uh, we need to fly that flag and, my experience has been that people are delighted hmm. to have a person who bears grace and mercy in the room. Wow. I like that. That's encouraging. That's even encouraging to myself being in the business world. And, and good. I appreciate that. But thank well, you. I appreciate talking to you and you know, you're just down in Springfield. If any of your listeners want to uh, come by and see the, the wild thing that is the, our work right now, um, there's about 15 cultures that come to work every day at, the, at our center and they are welcome to once a month, we do a thing called lunch and learn where uh, folks can RSVP and then sit down and just get like a 90 minute seminar on kind of how this all works and um, bring their own lunch and meet other people who are exploring. That's really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'll get some of those details from you afterwards and post it so that people can know where to find it. So thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate it. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks everyone for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed the show. Hopefully it challenged you to think about Jesus or ministry in a new way. Make sure to check back with us every Friday for another episode of Ministry IRL Season 2, where we talk about ministry and Jesus in real life.